All right, how about for a sermon here? Uh, turn with me to the book of Jonah if you have a Bible, and we'll have it on the screen as well. Before I get into my message this morning, I wanted to uh, make you aware, this coming Tuesday, we're having a Zoom event at 7 p.m. called Holding Space, Processing Racial Trauma in the Asian American Community. Uh, New Life for uh, Victoria Chu and Pastor Helen um, Kim Nowak will be leading us in a time of processing the racial trauma that's taking a place in the Asian American community. And this event is for everyone. If you want to just come in and listen in and and learn and pray, uh, you can go on our website, newlife.nyc, to learn more about the specifics. But this will be an hour and 15 minutes, uh, which I think will be a really wonderful use of your time. So just be mindful of that. We are starting a new series today focusing on the book of Jonah. The uh, the, The season of Lent, as Pastor Jackie mentioned, begins this Wednesday, and so uh, we are beginning a Lenten series uh, starting today on this remarkable book, and I want to just say before we get into the, the, the meat of this passage today, uh, I want to say some introductory comments about the book of Jonah, because it's often the case that when we think of Jonah, we think of, oh, that's the guy who got swallowed by a whale or a fish. That's a cute story, uh, but beyond it being a cute story, it is a real story of the ways that we live out the story of Jonah every day of our lives. And so my hope uh, throughout the course of this series is this. Whenever you find yourself reading something Jonah does, the first question that we typically ask is, why would he do that? But when we realize that Jonah's story is our story, what we should be asking is, why do I do that? And so every time you are tempted to say, why did he do that? Turn that on yourself as I'm turning it on myself. Why do I do that? Now, Jonah is prophetic literature, but beyond it being prophetic literature in that it it comes alongside Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all that in the minor prophets, Jonah is really comedy. It's satire. It's irony. And there's so many different surprises that we see throughout this story, and uh, I hope to uh, draw it out for us, particularly uh, this morning. And so we're going to focus on Jonah chapter 1, and it's going to be a lengthy reading, and so I want you to stick with me. We're going to look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 17, verses 1 through verse 17, follow along, and then I'm going to preach out of uh, the really power of this story. Jonah chapter 1, beginning uh, at verse number 1, hear the word of the Lord. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, because their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa. Uh, keep, stay there, uh, Nico. Stay there with me. Here, here we go. He went down to Joppa, found the ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare and boarded it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, Next slide there. However, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the stern of the ship, had laid down and fallen sound asleep. Next verse. 
So the captain approached them and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, come, let's cast lots so that we may find out on whose account this catastrophe has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now on whose account has this catastrophe struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely afraid and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you? So that the sea will become calm for us, for the sea was becoming, becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, because I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Verse 13. However, the men rowed desperately to return to the land, but they could not, because the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men became extremely afraid of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord designated a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days. And three nights. <laughs> Amen. The first service didn't clap for me, so thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> let's pray. Lord, would you open up our minds, open up our eyes, our ears, our hearts, that we would receive every gift from the Holy Spirit this day. And may we see that Jonah's story is our story. And may you lead us into Christ's likeness. We pray this in your name. And everyone said... Amen. I have a love-hate relationship with running as an exercise. I hate when I'm doing it, and I love not doing it. I just, I just, I, I hate to run, and I love not doing it. But from time to time over the years, I've tried to take up running as an exercise, partly because of my father. My father recently had hip surgery, but he's a runner, and he tends to run these half marathons and all these things, and, and every time he runs a marathon, he loves to just show us how good he looks and, and how well he did, and, and over the years, he sends us pictures, show a picture of, of my, my, my dad. He's just running, you know, every single time. Don't you hate people like that? I uh, just, I mean, they just want to let you know how good they are and, and all that. And so uh, I've tried to follow in my father's footsteps when it comes to running, but I have not been successful. I'll be 43 years old in a couple of months, and I have not been successful in my 42-plus years of exercise. And I usually experience a four-day cycle whenever I decide to go about running. The first day of this newfound exuberance for running, I set the alarm and I get up before the alarm clock rings. I get my clothes on and I go for a run 
And it's okay. The next day, I set the alarm, and the alarm wakes me up, and I get up, and I go out for a run. Day three, the alarm goes off, and I snooze it a couple of times, you know, seven, eight times, and, and then I get up, and then I run. Day four, I, I, I forget to, um, to set the alarm, and I'm done. I'm just, I, I'm done. And I pick it up again in you know, 10 months, 11 months, and I return, the process begins again. I've had a hard time running over the years, and maybe you've had a hard time running over the years, but this is what I know to be true about the spiritual life. You and I know how to run. We have great stamina when it comes to running, particularly running away from the things that God calls us to. From time to time, God calls us to do some hard stuff, some difficult stuff, and we have a way of finding the stamina, finding the endurance, finding a way to run and keep on running away from the things that God has called us to do. And if we pay attention to the, to the scriptures and if we pay attention to our lives, every single week of our lives, God is inviting us to follow him. And to follow him sometimes means to do something that is hard. God calls us every single week, calls us to be generous with our money, calls us to be open-handed with our possessions, calls us to speak out against injustice, calls us to, uh, to speak a word of forgiveness, calls us to spend, people, spend time with people that we don't see eye to eye with. God calls us week in and week out to do hard things, calls us to resolve a conflict, Calls us to step out in faith and trust. Calls us to stay in a place because our work is not yet done. Calls us to confess our sins. Calls us to uh, confess and seek out help for our struggles. The one thing I know about the God of the universe is this. God has a way of calling us into doing things that we don't really like to do. It was Willie James Jennings, the great theologian out of Yale University, where he said that when you look at the scriptures, particularly like in the book of Acts, for example, everyone is called to do something that they don't want to do. God is always calling the church to do stuff that they don't want to do. And this is what we see in Jonah's life. This is what we see in our life. And this is what I know to be true about the God of the universe. He calls us to do hard things often because it is the hard things that often brings about healing in our world. It's the hard things that often brings about reconciliation in our world. It's the hard things that often bring about wholeness in our lives. And this is what we see in Jonah. God calls, but like Jonah, we have a way of running. What I want to do is I want to give you the highlights, if I could, of the Jonah chapter 1. And explain it and then talk about the ways that this ref reflects our life. In, in verse 1, we don't know much about Jonah. We know that he's a prophet. And a prophet is someone who's called to speak for God. And essentially, what a prophet does is receive a message from God and then deliver it to the people of God. And we see Jonah is a prophet in this way. And throughout the, the stories of the Hebrew Scriptures, the story of the Old Testament, we see prophet after prophet obediently doing what God has called them to. But it seems as if Jonah has not gotten the job description right. He's a bit different. And so, for example, when Elijah comes on the scene, God speaks to the prophet Elijah, and even though he had a very difficult life, he delivers the word. When Isaiah comes on the scene, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah, and he delivers the word. When Jeremiah comes on the scene, even though the Lord said to Jeremiah, they're not going to listen to you. 
They're not going to do anything that you tell them. I'm already going to let you know. No one is going to listen. Jeremiah received the word and he delivered it. Ezekiel receives the word and delivered it. Prophet after prophet receives a word from the Lord. But Jonah is in a class all by himself. In verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, because their wickedness has come up before me. And I love what it says here. Jonah gets the first part right. It's as if Jonah's sitting down. The Lord says, Arise, go this way. Jonah says, I'm up. Go to Nineveh. I'm going this way here. And he just walks this way. He got the first part right. Arise. He got the rest of the story wrong. And Jonah leaves, and what's humorous for the people who are reading the scriptures, uh, and, and especially the Hebrew community, is he gets up to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is not just, doesn't just want to not do it. He wants to get away from the presence of God. And the Hebrew uh, community who would be reading this would be laughing. Because how can you run from the presence of of the Lord. It's as if a child is playing hide and seek and the child is trying to hide behind a lamp, you know, and their leg is all sticking out and the parent still sees them. This is how it is before God. No matter where we go, God is there. And so Jonah, the Hebrew writers will be laughing. Where could Jonah go that he cannot be, be out of the presence of the Lord? And Jonah leaves to get out of there. And we find out later on in the scriptures a few reasons why Jonah leaves. There's two reasons really why you could figure Jonah goes in the other way. The first way might relate to fear. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria which is modern-day Iraq, and they're known in the ancient world for their cruelty, for their brutality. And so to tell Jonah to go preach against that empire, that brutal, cruel empire, could strike up terror. It would be like God telling a Ukrainian prophet to go and stand against the Russian army as they're coming your way, and to preach against it. And so Jonah says, I'm not doing that. But we discover that it's more than just fear that Jonah has towards the people of Nineveh. Jonah's afraid, all right, but we find out later that he's not afraid of them. He's afraid of God. He's afraid that if he preaches, God is going to forgive them. He's afraid that if he preaches, God is going to show mercy to them. And so Jonah says, no way, I'm going in another direction. And so Jonah pays the fare. He swipes the metro card. He gets on the ship. And when he gets on the ship, in verse 4, it says, However, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. You don't see this in English, but in Hebrew, it's beautiful. In Hebrew language, the word for, for hurled the wind is the same word that we find in the book of Samuel when Saul is jealous of David, and he wants to pin David to the wall, and he takes a javelin, and he throws it at David to pin him. That's the same word. God is hurling the wind like a javelin. To pin Jonah down. He hurls a great wind on the sea. There's a great storm on the sea so that the ship is about to break up. And the sailors, verse 5, become afraid and every man begins to cry out to his God. 
And they begin to throw the cargo off the ship. But Jonah has gone to the bottom of the ship and he's fallen sound asleep. Listen, these people are in a storm and the person who God has called to represent him is asleep. And this is a metaphor for the church. The world is upside down. And it's often the case, brothers and sisters, that the church has fallen asleep. As a matter of fact, when Jonah is written, Jonah is written to be the embodiment of the community of Israel. His story is the story of Israel. And the same way that his story is the story of Israel, the church often finds ourselves in a similar position. God's called us to be God's representative on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But like Jonah, we are sound asleep. And so the captain approaches him, sees that Jonah is sleeping, and says, we need every hand on deck. How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps this God will be concerned about us so that we do not perish. Everyone is crying out to their God, and Jonah is sound asleep. And then we see Jonah here being rebuked by a pagan. He's supposed to bring God's word to them, but now Jonah is being rebuked. It's just interesting how this happens. I remember being on social media a couple of years ago, and I was, I was, I was commenting on Twitter, and I was, it was about sports, and so I was very emotional and very passionate and very angry, and my words were a bit harsh, and I had some criticism for some players that were just, just driving me crazy. And, 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 and I remember a guy who was not a Christian uh, reading my tweets, and he responded, and you know, first of all, I have like pastor you know, on my profile, you know, pastor, you know, all that stuff there. And I know he's not a Christian, and he comments to me, but pastor sometimes we have to show grace, right? Sometimes we have to show grace. And I felt this small, this small. I'm supposed to be preaching to you, man, and, and now you're preaching to me. This is what's happening in the text. Jonah is supposed to be carrying the word of the Lord to the people. But now Jonah is being rebuked by these sailors. And so they tell him to come on, to, to keep going, to, to row with them. Verse 7, and each man said to his mate, let's cast lots. We, we, we're, this is not working. Let's find out who's responsible for this. Let's cast lots. Think of it as trying to flip a coin. Let's flip a coin and let's have process of elimination to see who is the person who's responsible for this. And they finally get to the last two, and it is Jonah. And finally, after all this chaos, the prophet who's pretty good with words, has not spoken up to this point. Finally, Jonah speaks, and he does it reluctantly. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And when they hear this, they are terrified. And they say, how could you do this? For they knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord as they had told him. And Jonah says, this is actually very simple to solve this. Throw me over and everything will be calm. Jonah says, it's my fault. Throw me overboard. Jonah would rather die than to do what God called him to. Have you ever been there before? <laughs> I'd rather die than to forgive that person. I'd rather die than to confess the deep secret sin in my soul. I'd rather die than to do what you are asking me to. Jonah says, throw me 
over the ship. I, oh, and throw me into the water. I'd rather die. This is where Jonah is at. This is often where we are at. I came across this a pastor's name is John Ortberg. He, he, he put Jonah's story to the language of Dr. Seuss to help us understand in a different way what Jonah's feeling. And I like what he says it and how he says it. It's as if the Lord says to Jonah, could you, would you go preach? Could you, would you go reach the people in Assyria? For you fit my criteria. And Jonah responds, I would not go there in a boat. I would not go there in a float. I would not go there in a gale. I would not go there in a whale. I do not like the people there. If they all died, I would not care. I would not go to that great town. I'd rather choke. I'd rather drown. I would not go by land or sea. So stop this talk and let me be. The sailors think, this guy's crazy. And so what do they do? They keep rowing harder. I mean, this guy is crazy. Let's keep rowing harder. And they continue to row desperately. And then I love it here. I love it. These people who are pagans, they worship all kinds of other gods. They hear Jonah, and all of a sudden, they start praying to the Lord. They start changing their prayers very quickly. Oh, they got very religious very quickly. They turned very sanctified. They cried out to the Lord. Oh, Lord. You know, when you put an oh, Lord, you're getting really deep here. Oh, Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not put innocent blood on us for you, Lord, have done as you please. In other words, Lord, forgive us for what we're about to do. And they pick Jonah up, hurl him into the sea, and the sea stops its raging, and they become afraid, and they offer sacrifices and vows to the Lord. Listen to the irony. Listen to the comedy. Listen to what happens in this story. Jonah has done everything wrong, and these people come to faith in Yahweh. These people come to faith in the Lord. He's been sleeping. He's been quiet. He has not preached a word to them. And yet, these people by the end of this story have become followers of the Lord and they offer vows to him. First of all, this is good news for all of us. Because how many times have I messed it up? How many times have I said the wrong stuff? How many times have I not been a good witness to Jesus and somehow God still works out good? in spite of my failures, in spite of my mistakes. And so Jonah is thrown into the sea. In verse 17, the Lord designates a great fish to swallow him, and Jonah is in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. I want to highlight just three, quickly, three lessons out of chapter one in the book of Jonah, three lessons. What does this have to do with you and me? What does this have to do with our life before God? First of all, this, running from God's call is a universal struggle. Running from God's call is a universal struggle. The story of Jonah, again, is our autobiography. From time to time, we run. We run from God. There's some exterior running. There's some people that have been running from church. Any, any semblance of God, I'm going to avoid it. I met one guy, I remember, he, was, he had kind of stepped away from church and stepped away from God, and, and he told me that one of the first things he did was hide the Bible in his house. Because if I could just hide the Bible... I feel better about just the things I'm about to do here. This exterior running. But many of us have to also deal with interior running. That we can look like we're here and not be. We could geographically be present, but spiritually be distant. 
And this is a word to all of us who come to church, that we can be here and our hearts be very far. That running is a struggle we all have to deal with. And the question that we come to in this text is, what are you running from? Who are you running from? The biggest thing collectively that I want to talk to us as a congregation and really to the church, Big C, is we often run from being the people of God, being what God has called us to be. We've often surrendered our calling. What is our calling to be an extension of what Jesus Christ has begun in the world? To be the very presence of Jesus Christ. Healing and forgiving and preaching and working for justice. We are to be the very presence of Jesus Christ. And yet the church over and over again has forsaken our call and has gone in a different direction. And whenever the church aligns with powers in the world, whenever the church aligns with political power in the world, we surrender our calling. For Jonah, he was called to speak out against Nineveh, to denounce their evil, to let them know that the God of the universe sees everything. This is what the church is to look like as well. What if the church truly served as the conscience of society? Reminding the world that God wants to fill this world with justice and love and mercy and compassion. What would it look like for the Russian Orthodox Church to rebuke Vladimir Putin and tell him you must stand before Jesus Christ on Judgment Day? What would it look like for the church in the United States of America to rebuke the powers of greed and racism and classism? and sexism, and all the ways that bring about harm in our society. What would it look like for the church to stand with those who are abused and oppressed in our world? What would it look like for the church to say to the church, to rebuke each other when we stray from being a witness to Jesus Christ? The truth is we often Run away from the calling that God has on us. And whether that's individually, some of you have been running away from God's call. God has anointed you. God's given you gifts. God's given you desires. God's given you passions. And you've gone the other way. And the Holy Spirit is here today to remind you in this room and those of you watching, he's hurling a javelin your way. And says, I've anointed you, I've called you, I've given you gifts, I've given you a set of experiences, I've given you passions, I've given you abilities. Are you using it for my glory? Are you using it for the service of others? God is getting your attention, and not just you individually, us as a community together. Us as a global church together. God is pinning us down. And saying, would you come back this way? That's what Lent is all about. The season of Lent is about repentance. And what is repentance but turning back to the living God and saying yes to his ways. Repentance is, I'm walking down this way. And repentance says, the moment where I hear God's voice, that I'm turning and I'm orienting myself towards God. That's repentance. And all of us, we repent every single day. All of us repent every single day. Whether you know it or not, whether you're religious or not, we repent every single day. Every single morning when I drop my kids off at school and I'm about to find parking, I find parking and I pass by the local Dunkin' Donuts, I repent. (laughs) 
There are times when I don't repent and I get a donut or three or four and, 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 and all that. But then there are times where I'm going and I hear the Lord say, don't do it. And I'm making about faith and come back home. That's repentance. I'm coming back home. And the Lenten season is the same thing. We are called to turn back to the living God, to say yes to being the people of God. That's the first thing we learn. Running from God's call is a universal struggle. Secondly, what we learn from this text and this story is that our decisions tend to have a larger impact on others. Jonah's disobedience led others to be overtaken by a storm. And this is a word of caution to those of us who privatize everything. The decisions we make are not simply private decisions. The decisions we make often, usually, have an impact on the larger world around us. This is an important word for those of us who don't recognize the chain of, of events that emerge out of the decisions that we make. We don't realize that one decision can lead to a chain of reactions, positive and negative. But it's often the case, particularly in the United States, that prizes itself on individuality, that prizes itself on being my own person, prizes myself on I want to make my own decision, prizes ourselves, and we call it freedom in the name of freedom. I want to do whatever I want to do. My decisions are my decisions. I do whatever I want. And this is a word to all of us that for Christians, we don't live that way. For Christians, we don't live, I'm going to do me and me alone. As Christians, we have the larger community in mind of us. And we need to be reminded of this, particularly as we've been in this pandemic, that we belong to one another. And our decisions have an impact on other people around us. This is what Dr. King said. Dr. King said, in a real sense, all life is interrelated. All men are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be, and you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. And what we find in Jonah's story is that our decisions have implications for the people around us. And that we are invited to be prudent. As we just finished a series on the book of Proverbs. To be prudent in our decision making. To recognize all the ways that our decisions carry weight. And we want to live wisely before the Lord. Thirdly, here's good news. We learn in this story that God works for good despite our failures. What good news this is. God brings great repentance to people through an unrepentant prophet. The irony is just delicious. There's an unrepentant prophet bringing about repentance to people around him. And I just love that God works good despite our failures. Every single week I'm failing left and right. And somehow God is working for good despite our failure. Now, I want to close with this. I want to show you something in the scriptures because, again, Jonah's story is our story, but Jesus shows us a better way to live, a better way to be, the ways that he is similar to Jonah and much different from Jonah. There's a story in the New Testament where Jesus is on a boat as well. 
And I think when the New Testament writers wrote about this story, they must have had Jonah in mind. I want to show you some similarities and one significant difference. You all remember the story. Jesus is on a boat, and there, there's a storm that comes. And look how similar and then how different the story is. In the Jonah's story, Jonah sleeps. In the New Testament, Jesus sleeps. Jo- the captain wakes up Jonah. The disciples wake up Jesus. The sailors ask Jonah questions. The disciples ask Jesus a question. The sea was rough. The sea was rough. The sailors row hard. The disciples row hard. And here's the difference. Jonah is thrown off and the wind is calmed. Jesus stands up and calms the wind. Amen, somebody. The sailors are in awe. The disciples are in awe. We see something really powerful of how Jesus, in many ways, is an anti-Jonah, a better Jonah. And look how it happens. Jonah runs away from the will of God, seeking to just preserve himself. Jesus Christ runs into the will of God, sacrificing his life for us. And the ultimate question as we read the story of Jonah and meditate on the person of Jesus It's actually a very simple question to summarize this chapter. Am I going to live doing my will or God's will? You want to summarize this? It's very simple. Is it my will or is it God's will? With my finances, is it my will or is it God's will? With my time, is it my will or is it God's will? With my relationships, is it my will or is it God's will? Negotiating conflict conflict and differences, is it my will or is it God's will? Speaking up for justice, is it my will or is it God's will? If you want to summarize the story of Jonah, the story of my life, the story of your life, is it my will or is it God's will? And thank God for Jesus who says, not my will, but your will be done. And through his decision, There were implications spread out all over the world. That one decision is why we're here today, worshiping in his name, praying, because he said, not my will, but your will be done. Amen. Let's pray together. Let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment. Where is there an invitation from God What has the Lord called you to? And where are you going? Where have you gone? What does it mean to turn? Lord, I confess that I've often gone in a different direction. And you've invited me through this story and through this passage, invited us through this story and through this passage to turn back to you, to seek you, to do your will. Give us strength now through the power of the Spirit to recognize the ways we're just like Jonah and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to live like Jesus. We sing to you now words of praise. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing together.
prayer team my, to my right. And I imagine there are some of us in this room, those watching online, maybe you've been running, running from God. Maybe you came to church, but you've been running from God. Decided to tune in to a live stream service, but you've been running from God. And maybe today's God's getting your attention and calling you to himself, calling you to relationship calling you to follow in his way, calling you to live out a particular way, anointed by him, empowered by him in this world. 
And so for whatever need you have, our prayer team will be here to, to pray for you. Maybe you came in with burdens. Maybe you came in just sorrowful, feeling great grief in light of what's happening in our world. You need someone to pray for you, to offer words of encouragement, words of comfort. We want to serve you. We want to pray for you. I, maybe you came into church, you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're watching online, you've never said yes, and you sense God calling your name today. Our prayer team would love to pray for you. You can also text this number, uh, this phrase, yes to Jesus, the number on your screen. It's 718-424-0122. One of our pastors would love to follow up with you. But if you're sensing an urgency in your spirit, uh, just come forward. We'd love to pray for you and have a conversation with you. We'll have a sermon discussion time at the end of our service. For those of you watching online, we'd love to serve you and connect with you in that way. Uh, and so feel free to click on that link. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We mentioned online, and I put out a letter to our congregation letting us know that next Sunday, uh, masks will go from being required to being uh, optional or, or recommended. And so uh, just take note of that as we enter into worship next Sunday. Uh, so uh, I recognize that everyone checks emails and is on social media. So um, just be mindful of what we'll be doing next, beginning next Sunday. Let me bless you. Let me offer a word of God's grace over your life. And may God give you the courage and the grace to turn to him and to be the kind of people he's called us to be. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, turning your eyes to Jesus. May you recognize and confess the ways that you've been running. And may you receive grace and courage to turn to God and to be the kind of person God has called you to be. And may others be blessed because of you. May there be a ripple of goodness because of your decisions. May God be glorified through your life. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said... Amen. Grace and peace to you all.